You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! All the hitters out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of, of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. I gotta say, the new intro still fires me up to this day. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's midweek. It's time to take a big picture look at the Dolphins heading into week number 13. We'll go around the web and we'll officially turn the page and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel at his Wednesday media availability. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. I want to start here on the podcast right before the five things because I'm just tired of hearing about it and we're going to do a power rankings roundup at one point in this podcast and I saw the same thing on every single blurb about how the Dolphins are cleaning up on the soft spot of their schedule. From NFL.com's power rankings, Miami decimated the competition during the soft portion of its schedule. By the end of December, excuse me, we'll have a much better handle on how seriously we should take this team. What? Come on, bro. Like, why does every other team not have these same conditions? Also, did they not already beat one of those teams you have ahead of them in the power rankings and your number 11 team and your number 15 team and took your number 7, 8, and number 10 team into the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game late with our starting quarterback on the sidelines? Like, what are we doing, man? I'm so, so tired of it. We follow the same trajectory every year in football, and somehow we as a collective who have been watching this sport and this league for multiple decades don't learn lessons from each year of football. Every year, teams figure it out early, play some ups and downs. Every single good team has had ups and downs, right? The Chiefs, they lost to the Colts this year. You think they'll look back on that game like it was some defining negative thing if they go on to win the championship this year? Every single team goes through adversity. Then the best teams eventually will rise to the top and go on deep runs and win most of their games from this time of year onward. And the Dolphins have every single trait of one of those teams, yet we are apprehensive about their accomplishments to date. Why? I mean, I know why. It's because acknowledging that you are flat out wrong about the quarterback is a lot harder than just moving the goalpost and kicking the can down the road until you eventually have to come home to roost, but making it a weekly quiz for the young man. Like, this is the week we'll learn about Tua Tungavailoa. Forget the previous 10 games. Forget the record pace that he's on this year. These four quarters will determine my take that I was right all along. Like, this is the week you're going to learn about him. Forget the previous games. Who needs those? This is the time to evaluate him. Not the fact that he's unbeaten against a head coach who is still stifling every young quarterback he faces in Bill Belichick. Not the fact that he posted a 100-plus pass rating against Buffalo, who has not allowed that to happen but one other time this year, and his was 123, Jacoby Brissett 116. The next best rating was under 100. 
Okay. Do we just ignore the fact that the Lions defense that apparently can't stop anybody has been stifling quarterbacks since Tua shredded them a few weeks back? I'm just tired of it, man. He's the only one that's held to this weekly test standard where every single week he has to clear some new bar for some reason and not allowed to have like a bad throw here and there. And it carries over into the perception of the team. But again, oh well, keep winning. It'll probably never change their tune, but the one thing we know for sure is that it just doesn't matter. I just had to get it off my chest. Let's go ahead and get to the five things I think. Starting here with number one, the next man up mentality continues. It's been a theme all season, hasn't it? They showed a graphic on the screen of the players we are without just on defense during the Houston game and guys that have made a ton of plays for this defense in the past. Brandon Jones, Emmanuel Ogba, Nick Needham, Byron Jones, Trey Flowers had some nice reps this year and obviously has a great career uh, behind him with New England and Detroit. It's a ton of talent that's just not available to you, but this team just keeps finding a way to win. And it speaks to the coaching, I think. I think it speaks to the front office for finding depth capable of contributing. And of course, above all, it speaks to the players. I think it helps that this there's this aura around the team. Referring back to the broadcast again, and by the way, find a better sideline reporter than a Didi Kikabwala, because I bet you can't do it. She was fantastic in that game. She, of course, had that really cool report on the relationship between Tua and Mike, but after the Andrew Van Ginkle interception, she told a story about how much fun everybody is having, and you see that. We've covered it here on this exact Wednesday Five Things podcast, the idea of playing for each other. How Cedric Wilson celebrates River Craycraft, a guy that he's competing for reps with. How Raheem Mostert goes crazy for his backfield mate, Jeff Wilson's touchdown runs. And then how about coaches mic'd up after the Eric Rowe force fumble? Rowe, Rowe, I see that. Like, that gave me the goosies, man. That was awesome. I think that culture that Mike has established of having fun, but like only if you're on top of your shit. Like, we have fun as long as we're being deliberate about our work, and I think that has a massive snowball effect, not just on a guy like Tua, who's kind of the the focal point of the, you know, the coaching and the confidence and the having fun and belief in a player, but throughout the entire roster, there's a belief in each and every person that they can step in there and get the job done. Like what McDaniel and Coach Crossman said about Jason Sanders the last couple of weeks. When we send him out there, we expect to get points. And they've both continued to say the same things, that we know he's doing everything he can to make sure he's making his kicks. And the approach he takes is one of professionalism and deliberate intent, right? Well, Jason was money on Sunday. Three for three on field goals, hit all of his PATs as well. I just love the the belief in guys, and I think it's a very helpful tool with regards to a successful next man up mentality. And it would not surprise me in the least to see Jason Sanders hit a big field goal for this team at some point over the next couple of months. So <clears throat> we've highlighted Justin Bethel, Brandon Shell, Kater Kohu, a lot of guys here, but there are more coming to the forefront still. You guys know I was a big fan of Rob Jones from the day he was signed after the 2021 NFL draft as a UDFA, a, a priority UDFA out of Middle Tennessee State. He's been called upon, and man, he's playing well. So since stepping into that left guard spot, uh, not the Lions game, but forward from that, 133 pass blocking snaps, one sack, two hits, six total pressures. It's a 97.2 pass block efficiency. The run game and his gaps per pro football focus, 27 rushes for a buck 98. That's running B gap and A gap left, either side off left guard. So one QB pressure every 22 snaps, that's roughly two per game. I'll love that every single week. And an average of 7.3 yards per rush, eh, pretty good, eh, pretty good. 
How about Eric Rowe? Each of the last three games, he set a new high for snaps played in a game this season. He's up to 161 over those three games, and he's given you five run stops on 51 run defense snaps, and teams have passed for 69 yards on 105 coverage snaps. He's got the splash play with the forced fumble turned touchdown, and to put a bow on it, 79 snaps in the box, 16 at free safety, 11 at wide corner, and 55 in the slot. He plays all over the field. His career arc since coming here back in 2019 has been one of my favorites to watch. I love me some Eric Rowe. I can't wait to watch him be a part of this run here down the stretch. How about Miles Gaskin, who led the team with 3.67 average yards after initial contact, and he forced three missed tackles on just six carries and did not allow a pressure in pass protection. Verone McKinley, first career interception, no yards allowed in coverage, had a QB hit on his only pass rush rep, and did not miss a tackle. Verone McKinley takes me to thing, I think, number two, because speaking of McKinley, Javon Holland's deployment has been expanded. <clears throat> now, his pre-snap alignments have been pretty consistent, but you plug in that Texans tape, and he's got a good number of step, uh, reps where he's stepping forward. Like not falling back into center field, not falling back into a deep half or a deep third. I think it's twofold. One, McKinley really did have the most free safety experience on this roster, even going back to training camp. We saw, you know, Nick Needham cross train there after playing that one game there last season when Holland was out on the COVID list, I think it was. And then we saw a lot of our own working back there in training camp. So I think getting him more and more acclimated certainly helps. And then two, I just think you tend to grow and improve as the season goes along. Like it was a big storyline about the continuity on defense all summer, right? But you still have to build to work towards your ultimate abilities in a given season. So even with that continuity, I think you'd be upset if we didn't see the defense get better as the year goes along. And I think we're seeing that. So Javon's pre-snap alignments, there's almost zero change according to Pro Football Focus. He did have a very different role against Chicago, but I think that had a lot more to do with the unique quarterback there in Justin Fields. But it's been pretty consistently like 45 to 55 snaps at free safety and then 9 or 10 snaps down in the box with a handful in the slot here and there. And that's, you know, that's like playing that shallow safety position where you're kind of the rat in the hole, but you're coming down to play possible zone coverage if they, you know, send a blitz. It's not necessarily man up on the slot, just that's kind of where you're aligned pre-snap. So it's like in between box and, and obviously the post. Now, we talked about the opposing team's deep passing against Miami, you know, even earlier in the season. But with this Holland and McKinney combo that's played a total of 179 snaps the last two games been pretty good. So I think McKinley giving you the quality reps in the post and the deep passing numbers against Houston and Cleveland combined are as follows. 10 uh, throws in the 10 to 19 yard range, 5 of 12 for 80 yards in a pick. 20 plus yard air yard throws, 1 for 8, 70, or I'm sorry, 2 for 8, 77 yards and a pick. Total, all throws of 10 plus air yards, 7 for 20, 157 yards, 2 picks against Miami in these last two games. And that's pretty much what it's been for the majority of the season. So if Verone can play in that role effectively and not give you drop-off in the deep passing game, I think it frees Javon up to do exactly what makes him a great player, and that's that he can do anything on a football field. He also nearly had that pick in the game. I, I think you're hard-pressed to find a better playmaking safety than Javon Holland, and I think McKinley's emergence and Eric Rowe doing his thing could just help him increase his chances to make those types of plays. That's picks, that's forcing fumbles, that's rushing the quarterback any way you like. Thing I think number three, Alandon Roberts and Duke Riley have perfect 
have perfected the platoon role at that inside linebacker position, the off-ball linebacker position. Every defense in football in 2022 utilizes rotation, sub-packages, and platoons at certain spots. We know Jerome Baker is sort of the straw that stirs the drink in the middle of the defense, and what a month of November he had, man. Man, he was great. So these last two games, Jerome played 85 total snaps. He was actually given some time off late in the Houston game, so that's a little bit lower than typical Jerome Baker snap counts. But the point is, he's typically an 85 90% snap player, sometimes 100%. And in most modern defenses, you really only have so many snaps for that second inside linebacker because five DBs means one less linebacker and you get the idea. And that's where I think Duke and Alandon have kind of carved out this split role for that position. Like Duke, last two weeks, 62 snaps, 49 of those were in coverage, four as a pass rusher, nine in run defense. On nine run defense uh, downs, one run stop, and no missed tackles. That's a good percentage right there. One for nine is, we'll take that all day long. He has one sack on four pass rush reps. That's obviously fantastic. He's allowed uh, two of three targets to be completed for 18 yards and has a pass breakup. Really good stuff across the board for Duke Riley. Alain Roberts, it's like the complete opposite. 57 snaps, 30 in coverage, three pass rush, 24 in run defense. And actually, it's a bit of a departure from his average because the Dolphins have had big leads the last two weeks, but typically E-Rob's more tilted towards run defense, but teams have been throwing on us the last two weeks because we've been ahead on the scoreboard early and often. But, excuse me, in those 24 run defense snaps, seven run stops. That's like, what is that? A a third, between a third and a fourth? What is that? Five eighths? Like, that's really good. No, I don't know what it is. I don't know math. Three eighths. Something like that. Seth is going to love this part of the podcast. Uh, Two pressures out of three pass rush attempts, and that includes a sack hit. Now, seven for eight in coverage on 68 yards on 30 coverage snaps. That's why you have Duke Riley, right? And defenses are multiple, right? So, like, shoot, they mentioned this in the broadcast again, going back to that, when talking about the Texans quarterback situation, how Kyle Allen said it wasn't necessarily the speed of the game that he was, you know, catching up to, but rather just the variety of defenses that they can throw at you. Well, we have so many different packages, and there's a good mix of roles for both Alandon and Duke within those different packages, and it really feels like they're finding the right recipe, the right ingredients as we go along here. So Duke's range to sideline to sideline, the coverage ability, the rush ability, then that tone that E-Rob sets. There was an incomplete pass in the game where the back like didn't make the catch, and E-Rob comes through and just puts the shoulder on the guy. Like, yeah, I'm still here, man. Uh, it was incomplete, but I'm, I'm just that dude. And I think you have to have a guy like that on your roster. Uh, every team needs an Alandon Roberts. Let's go ahead and take our first break here and come back on the other side and get to things I think four and five, as well as around the web. And we'll finish up with Mike McDaniel's Wednesday media availability. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
It's a Wednesday here before week 13. We are officially one week out from my wife's due date. So little Cam's going to be here any day now. And we'll look forward to that. We're going to keep going here with the Drive Time Podcast. Maybe have a, uh, some fewer episodes uh, during some paternity leave there. But we will see how that turns out. But going to be with you guys here covering the games and the previews and all that stuff at the very least uh, during that paternity. But thing I think number four something about the pass rush and four-man rush and blitzing. I feel like I'm talking about this each day on the show, and honestly, I couldn't even think of a creative title for it, but here we are. And it starts right here because Bradley Chubb, 27% pass rush win rate is second among all edges in the NFL, and Jalen Phillips is tied for eighth at 21%. We mentioned yesterday where he ranks in total QB pressures, top 10 in that category as well. He's also fifth in run-stop win rate. But it's, look, I'm kind of at a loss. Like, it's what we just talked about with Duke and E-Rob. You just have options. And that's both from a personnel standpoint and also the number of pages it opens up within your playbook. Because every coach has their system and, and certain players allow you to unlock certain things within that system, right? Within that playbook. Because we've seen those multiple packages on third and long where you can choose your fighter type of lineup with regards to your down linemen and rushers. Like, give me call, call on Ingram, call on Chubb, call on Phillips, give me Wilkins, let's go, baby. And Ingram's been awesome. Gink has been, I, I would say Andrew Van Ginkle's one of the most consistent players we've had since he was drafted because you know exactly what you're going to get with Gink. And that's a player who's solid and dependable in all three facets of defense, run game, coverage, and pass rush on top of the special teams work that he does. And so, yeah, like we do see the four-man rush get after the quarterback, but we're also seeing Roberts get a sack, Baker get a sack and a forced fumble. We're seeing Elijah Campbell apply a pressure that forces a third down throwaway. We saw Cater Kohu coming after the quarterback a couple of times. In the absence of probably your two best blitzing defensive backs besides Javon Holland, who has to play in the post because of this, but you don't have Needham and Brandon Jones, who used to get after quarterbacks relentlessly. I just think that the more time Boyer has to keep cooking up new things, the versatility he has. I mean, the last two weeks were the best pass rush games of the season, and I really don't think there's any reason to expect that to do anything but continue on that same trajectory. And to put a bow on it again from the broadcast, they mentioned Chubb working relentlessly to learn the 70 or so calls that are new to him. He said it's a a similar defense and plan. I just have to get the calls down. And a lot of that has to do with rush games because this is a very deep rush game uh, defense. But he's doing that by writing it down over and over again. It speaks to the way he works. I don't think it's any surprise that the pass rush is getting better each week since he got here. And finally, thing number five, they remember what you do in December. My co-host OJ McDuffie always says that, and you everyday listeners know that we try not to look at the standings too closely until December, but the calendar turns here in a couple of days, and we didn't always succeed in that mission. I mean, you're not going to not talk about claiming first place in the division through 10 games, but now here we are, 11 games down, six to go, and I think it's an apt time to discuss that. So Miami currently sits at the number two spot in the AFC, and based on the results of last Sunday, cleared both Tennessee and Baltimore by a game after their respective losses to Cincinnati and Jacksonville among the division leaders, right? Of course, the Bills are breathing down our necks with the same record. Man, I thought we were going to get some help on Thanksgiving Day from the Lions. So close, yet so far away. Hit that pass, Goff. We get a W there, and we're up by a game with the tiebreaker in hand, but I digress. But the point remains that going 1-0, and each week means you don't even have to look at the out-of-town scoreboard. Unless, of course, you're talking about tracking first place Kansas City. But honestly, ideally, maybe that two seed would be the best route forward. Because if you get that, 
that means you've obviously won the AFC East. And then if you can beat the number seven seed in that opening game, odds are the fifth seeded Bills will have to go to Kansas City in the divisional round. And then you get to play the AFC North winner in all likelihood, unless you get an upset, you know, a wild card team knocking off either the Ravens or Bengals in the AFC North, because that would then send Buffalo here in the divisional round. I don't think that's what happens. So technically you could have a route where it's like Jets at home in the wild card round, Ravens or Bengals at home in the divisional round, and then Bills at home for the AFC championship game or on the road for Kansas City. Sign me up for either one of those, man. I'll take that. And we did predict Dolphins at Bills in the AFC championship game. We'll see how maybe that works out too. It's December. What does Mike Francesca always say uh, on the, what's he from? The Mike and the Mad Dog show. The season don't start until Thanksgiving, dog. So let's go ahead and look at it this way. Your out-of-town scoreboard watching is much trickier this year, really, than any year we've experienced, right? Like, usually you're hoping for the top teams to beat the teams in that 6-8 to seed range, knowing that you're not going to catch the Patriots atop the division. But now you can play for the division, and that's goal number one. But if you don't, then you kind of want to see what happens in that Cincinnati-Baltimore race. What happens with the Chargers? Can the Jets and Pats stay alive? So let's go ahead and look at all that. Let's look at how, you know, it's basically a nine-team race at this point. Nine teams at six and five or better, and then 10th place is a four, seven, and one Colts. I feel comfortable sticking a fork in those teams uh, beyond that, except for Jacksonville. If they can sweep the Titans, then the AFC South race is back on, but they got to do that, and I don't know if they will. So Kansas City is nine and two. They are at the Bengals, at the Broncos, at the Texans, home for Seattle, Denver, and then at the Raiders. I'm going to go 15-2. and two. It's so tough to ever forecast a loss for them. Their best chance is probably this week against the Bengals on the road, but I'm taking them to run, to run the table at 15-2. and two. Maybe they lose in Week 18 if they don't play Mahomes, but that's only if it doesn't matter. That's my one seed regardless of what happens with us or anybody else, Kansas City. The Titans are 7-4. and four. At Philly, home for Jacksonville, the Chargers, the Texans, and Cowboys, and then at Jacksonville. It's a pretty good slate of games there for them. 10-7 and is my prediction. They just find ways to win, don't they? It is a tough road ahead, obviously, but really all they have to do is beat Jacksonville one time and they'll get that four seed. Of course, they want to move up, but I think that's where you slot them. AFC South winners, four seed, and hosting either us or Buffalo in round number one. Baltimore, 7-4. and four. They are home for the Broncos at the Steelers and uh, Browns, home for the Falcons and Steelers, and then at the Bengals. I'm going to go 11-6. and six. I would have picked them to run the table a week ago and would already be wrong. A weird year for them. I still think they win the division, even if, if it comes down to that Week 18 game. But if you look at the Bengals' schedule, that's why I'm having... I was originally at 12 and five, but I went back to 11 and six. I'll explain why here in just one second. And then Buffalo is eight and three. They are at the Patriots, home for the Jets and Dolphins, at the Bears, at the Bengals, and home for the Patriots. I'm going to tack on one loss there, 13 and four. I expect them to get it corrected on offense and get back to their juggernaut ways. Now, if that one loss is us, then we give ourselves a cushion because we can basically afford to lose one more game along the way and we'd still have the tiebreaker over them. If they beat us, then we have to win every other game and hope that we hold on to the tiebreakers or that they drop one more along the way. Fascinating battle there with us and Buffalo. The Bengals mentioned them uh, with the Ravens race. They're also 7-4. and four. They have the Chiefs, the Browns, at the Bucks and Patriots, home for the Bills and Ravens. I'm going 11-6. and six. I actually gave them the win in Weeks 18 after giving them a loss originally because looking at it, I just don't think Baltimore is going to have anything to play for in that game. But Chiefs and Bills, is that quarterback for Cleveland, I'm not going to talk about his name, is he even any good anymore? If he is, it's a really tough game. 
at the Bucks and Pats. Like it's a tough road though for the Bengals. Uh, I expect them to get in, but as far as winning the North, I don't think so. Tim, uh, the Jets seven and four at the Vikings, at the Bills, home for the Lions and Jags, at the Seahawks, at the Dolphins. I'm going nine and eight for the Jets, or maybe eight and nine. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably will play some more third string quarterbacks at some point because that's how the season has gone for them. So I guess that's why we're going to go nine and eight over eight and nine. But to me, there are two teams among this group that are not like the others. They're this one and the next one, New England, six and five, Buffalo at Arizona, at Las Vegas, home for Cincy and Miami and at Buffalo. I'll go eight and nine there. Just, I'm just not seeing it, dog. The Chargers, six and five at Las Vegas, home for Miami and Tennessee at Indy, home for the Rams and at the Broncos. I'll go 10 and seven. It could be 11 and six, but we'll go with 10. A big game for them on with us here in week 13. I think it's going to be Sunday night football. If we win that game, we essentially can seal up our wild card spot based upon how I think it'll go. But again, highest aspirations. So that gives us what my standings with the predictions there sands, the dolphins taking the dolphins out of the equation, chiefs, 15 and two bills, 13 and four Ravens, 11 and six Titans, 10 and seven Bengals, 11 and six chargers, 10 and seven jets, nine and eight Patriots, eight and nine. So what does that mean? I think 11 wins is our absolute floor unless injuries, of course, and, and out you know, unforeseen things, but really closer to 12 than 11. I think running the table is very possible. If you do the latter, your minimum is a two seed. If you get 12 wins and one of those is against Buffalo and they lose one more game, you're at very least division champs and maybe the two seed, maybe the three seed. But I think the takeaway here from this exercise is that a lot of these teams have brutal schedules down the stretch. And I think you need something completely out of left field, like a lot of injuries to see Miami not finish in the top seven this year, like completely out of left field. All right, before we go to break here and get to Coach's Wednesday press conference, how about around the web? It's just two items this week. First, how about some December power rankings? NFL.com has us at sixth, ESPN at fourth, The Ringer at sixth, went down two spots somehow, but I guess when the entire company, you know, has to prove that two is not very good. That That's kind of how it works. CBS third, the athletic is third as well. Literally every single blur mentioned how we're about to find out how real the dolphins are. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. There's a mention in there that we haven't beaten a winning team since week three. Well, it's tough to do when you're not playing winning teams, isn't it? And I guess we just forget about those games, but Hey, how about you mention that our three losses were games where our quarterback wasn't even out there. Oh, it's ridiculous. Peter King added a segment to his call on this season called the Jason Jenkins Award. And I wanted to read this one for y'all because it makes me so damn happy and proud and a little emotional to read it because it's such a fitting award for the best man I ever knew. And I just can't help but feel a sense of happiness and pride for having known him. So I wanted to, this week's Jason Jenkins Award winner, because it's such a microcosm of who the boss man, as Seth Juice and I called him, of who he was. So Peter King awards it to Michigan running back Blake Corum a day after injuring his knee, which put his availability for the biggest game of his life, the Michigan-Ohio State game, in jeopardy. Corum delivered 200 turkeys and Thanksgiving meals to the needy in nearby, oh boy, yep, <laughs> a town in Michigan, Y-P-S-I-L-A-N-T-I, Ypsilanti, <laughs> uh, he earned his NIL earnings. He used his NIL earnings to do so. NIL is really good. So I told my dad, I'm going to buy a hundred turkeys. Coram said, uh, local charities contributed other food for the meals, Mac and cheese, canned fruits and vegetables, and also doubled the number of turkeys attributed. So Coram's good deed led to 200 families having a happier Thanksgiving. That is the microcosm 
of who Jason Jenkins was and what he was about. So had to put that in there. Let's go ahead and take our last break here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast and come back and get to head coach Mike McDaniel's Monday, or sorry, Wednesday press conference. That's next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Coming to you all on a Wednesday afternoon here, picking the podcast right back up, but through the power of editing, no one has to know that a podcast is done on two different days. We pick it back up on head coach Mike McDaniel's Wednesday press conference, where he gave us an update on the two tackles uh, that were injured in the game on Sunday. Sounds like we will not have Austin Jackson. He said he's not expecting Austin Jackson to play. Would be surprised if he was available, but will not guarantee that he'll miss the game. With Teron Armstead, sounds like some better news that there's a shot he could possibly go in the game on Sunday. Coach lauded Armstead's toughness and willingness to put himself onto the field if he's able to go and coach using that line once again that he knows if Teron cannot play he will know there was no possible way for him to play said there was not going to be any surgery said that Teron's pumped up for the opportunity to play against good football teams in the month of December said that he was really down about the idea of possibly missing game because of his leadership role on this team and how he wants to be here for his teammates so it sounds like there's a chance we could see Teron Armstead in the game on Sunday and how big of a lift would that be against Nick Bosa and that 49ers pass rush. We also had some news on Tuesday night that the Dolphins will play in primetime against the Los Angeles Chargers, and we'll talk about that later next week about the concept of Tua versus Herbert in primetime and all that fun stuff. But Coach was asked about the concept of being flexed to primetime, which, by the way, is the first time since NBC instituted or any program instituted flex football uh, that the Dolphins were chosen to go up to the primetime slot. So Coach was asked about the concept of that and handling raised expectations. I love this line about not avoiding reality and entering into delusion because in this game, in this league, in this sport, you can see a lot of that, especially the paranoia aspect of it all. But Coach talking about meeting those challenges head on and being transparent and not being, you know, putting the toothpaste back in the tube, as it were. Um, you, first of all, I think um, avoiding reality and entering into delusion um, is dangerous. So I think it's important to um, recognize that as though, uh, you know, that's ultimately what you, what you want. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, that when things don't affect what the, the goals, the, uh, the mission of a team, you know, if, if we would have set on, said on April 4th that our goal was to get flexed, <sighs> see you guys. Um, but, you know, it's, I think you acknowledge it, and that's something that uh, the players should be proud of. That means the players have decided um, that they, they want to make the most out of 
all the talent that they have and they're committed to doing so and it's a credit to them for sure. Um, but at the same time, it's, uh, it is next week. So if you worry about next week against um, uh, uh, a team like uh, we're facing, you will be humbled fast. So um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge, but it's also um, just something. Next coach was asked about if the players have a heightened understanding of his perspective for the opponent this week, given his close proximity to the 49ers over the last handful of years. Here's coach talking about showing the players certain things on tape and how to connect with players, regardless of who your opponent is. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I'm talking to the players generally, if I have an opinion um, on the football team that we're playing, I'm voicing the opinion while I'm showing the tape. So the, you know, that's the bottom line. This is a bottom line business in terms of we are what that tape shows. Um, So I think, um, you know, there's probably human nature, you know, they, they, they know that um, I uh, have spent a good amount of time, um, with a lot of those people uh, on that team. But at the same time, that, that kind of is par for the course um, in this league. Case in point, uh, every, like right when the game ends, handshakes. You can, every single game, you have two teams battling it out that had prepared to beat the opponent literally all week. And then right when the game's over, you can tell that there's invested blood, sweat, and tears relationships from players across the board, whether that's high school, college, or in the NFL. So it is um, more often than not uh, a very normal thing um, that uh, isn't out of the ordinary at all for um, our league. It's a small league, and I feel like we're talking about people that I coach with every week. You know, it's kind of, kind of the deal. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons uh, that you guys have noticed that or done that is because uh, that's what happens when you have success. And the, the 49ers have had um, success for a while, and they expect success, and they don't settle for anything less. And as a result, um, people are afforded other opportunities. And, um, you know, Coach Shanahan's tree grows and grows. So, um, you know, I I uh, I think maybe on Monday, maybe they they think something of it. Um, but by this time, we're focused on the business at hand, and we're really focused on the Dolphins as it applies to the 49ers um, in that order. Coach also gave us an update on Raheem Mostert. It sounds like he will play on Sunday and probably maybe could have played on Sunday, but they were trying to be preventative about his availability because of his importance to the football team in that game against the Texans. Two more here first. Uh, Coach was asked about how Jalen Waddle received the idea of trading for a player like Tyreek Hill when Waddle was obviously the go-to guy last year, you know, a, a franchise number one type of player to go get a receiver who has an even more proven resume. How did Waddle respond to that? This is a phenomenal answer here from, about a phenomenal kid. It, it is very transparent that he is a team-oriented guy that wants to, wants to make plays for the right reasons, which is 
he he really th- thrives in making plays for his teammates, much like quite literally every teammate of his. You know, on offense, um, there's a lot of contributors um, to that go into uh, you know his share of targets, which um, you know he's although he's not afforded the most, it is the second most, um, and in the same way that you know all the sacrifices that that other players happily do for those extremely talented teammates. You, you do things um, to, to be a part of something, to do something that, you know, you can ask Jalen. A lot of people dream of 100 catches. I mean, cool, but winning, that's the, that's the deal. And you win with your, with your teammates, and sometimes that requires some people to be uh, stat selfless. Sometimes that requires people to bear the burden. Um, I, I, those two together help each other. Um, I, I think our team, I don't think they lose sight of their teammates and what their teammates do for them. Um, and, you know, we, we ultimately go as far as, you know, your best players take you. And um, this just in, but... You know, I'm not ranking players, but they're up there, you know. Let's go ahead and finish up with one more Kawa here. Coach's answer was awesome about the idea of how the Dolphins are not in the top half of the league in yards after the catch, after kind of an idea this offseason, that's how the offense is going to operate. Well, they're still one of the top three or four offenses in football, probably even higher than that, without having the benefit of Yak. Here's Coach talking about how sometimes you have to adapt and the way defenses play you can adjust for that talking mainly here about how teams have taken away a lot of deep stuff and created opportunities for the Dolphins have exposed opposing defenses so far this season. It's, you don't really, um, you know, you, you try to assess the tape and find yards that we left out on the field. Um, I think we are, we're still working um, at maximizing those, but at the same time, um, there's a, you know, when, when, Players put on tape that they'll make plays. Um, it if you're not if you're not backed up enough or you're not um, keeping the entire offense in front of you, uh, that there's pros and cons with ensuring that there's not big plays. And in that, um, you know, we kind of you're, you're always adapting and. Um, I don't think anything in our game will ever be satisfied with uh, just because you're, you're always trying to get better and not worse. And if you stay the same, you're probably getting worse. Um, but, you know, it, I, think it's, uh, I, I think it's something that, um, you know, this is something that during the season, you, it's hard to forecast the way things will look, how people defend you. Um, and that changes game by game. So you have to um, adapt and, you know, there's, there's certain focuses and, and points of emphasis that, that we have to really focus on now um, just because the different styles that people are playing us. So I, I, I think that's a natural consequ- consequence. I think that's less about, um, oh, those players aren't yak players that we have in our offense. Uh, I think most people would argue um, 
that's quite the opposite. And there's plenty of examples to show. Um, I know they are trying to do, trying to max out all those yards always, but at the same time, um, it has, it's, there's a component of handling adjustments and, you know, there's, uh, you have to, you have to, you can't fight what defenses want to do. You have to do your best to take advantage of it. So, um, how, however that, that manifests itself, you know, that's just, there's, there's multiple ways, numerous ways to make cats hairless. Skin a cat. That's it, right? Yeah. I am always so appreciative of Coach's wordplay there at the very end. Just, just a fun guy to be around. All right, let's go ahead and call it a podcast. We'll come back with you guys tomorrow for the game preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out our brother podcast, The Fish Tank with Seth and Juice. Our Twitter Spaces show tonight at 8 o'clock every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. And our post-game show once the games wrap on Sunday, immediately following a Dolphins victory or loss, but probably a victory. The international podcast across the network. Check out our YouTube channel for Dolphins Today and all the media availabilities, drive time, and fish tank content as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.